Welcome, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose, Big Book Study Groups, Thursday Night, Alcoholics and God. This is our step series, and uh, we're going to have our joke now. Bruce, um, Chris, I'm the honorary joke teller. Um, <clears throat> all right, so I'm going to read this joke. It's from a book called A Rabbit Walks Into a Bar. It's from the AA Grapevine, so. A husband and wife were sitting in their living room. The wife said, just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent on some machine and fluids from a bottle. If that ever happens, just pull the plug. Her husband got up, unplugged the TV, and threw out all of her beer. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, so I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Musab. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that, may, that might make noise or will distract others. We're going to take this time to get connected with God. So let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? You don't have a choice. So let's start the meditation.
Okay, that about wraps up the meditation. And now we are going to do the fog light prayer. So, God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. Thank you. By next week, I'll have that memorized. So, on page 17 from the big book, there is a solution. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Rachel to read Spiritual Experience. My name is Rachel. I am an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing fellowship of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologists William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resources which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Rachel. 
We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have a purpose. So it's kind of important to know what one is. So please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode, or just turn them off. So I'd like to introduce tonight's speaker, Bobby, to come up here and crush it. That was good. Good enough. It's my last day, you know, I can't. No, you did great. Hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a member of the Sister Staying Sober Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and my name is Bobby. I missed you guys last week. I had a rough week last week. I was like, man, I cannot believe I'm going to miss him. I had to cram three steps in. I don't know how many steps it is. I've just been winging it, you guys. I never know what the heck's going on. Um, uh, all I can say is I really hope that there was some sort of message of hope of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I hope that whatever it is that you got from me, you can take it and continue your journey of recovery. Half the time when I say things and people receive them, they receive something they heard, but I did not say. So I always say, you know, I'm just coming up here trying to do God's work the best of my ability, and uh, people are going to take the message and they're going to leave the rest, right? I don't know if any of you guys who've ever spoken before have experienced that, but I cannot tell you how many times I've left a meeting and somebody comes to me and they said, I love when you said dot, 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 dot. And I'm like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. What I said was dot, dot, dot. But I didn't say dot, 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 dot. So like their perception of what I said was exactly what they needed. And my perception of what I said, I just said it, and somebody got something out of it the way they needed it, which is really phenomenal. That just goes to show you that any meeting anywhere, when two meet, two or more meet, God is there. He is there. It doesn't mean that I'm like God's favorite. I mean, come on, we all know we're pretty up there on the chain of favorites. But I do believe that the power of God resides in every meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Whether we want him there or not, he is there. He has legit plucked us out of the streets of hell, brought us into this way of life, and has hand-delivered us an opportunity to have a life worth living, which I would love to call grace. Because we didn't do anything specifically to get this beautiful life. How amazing is that? God is so, so, so good. He's so good. So anyways, thank you for having me up here and uh, giving me an opportunity. Mike, thank you so much for remembering me from last year and asking me to come. It's been such an honor and a privilege And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, just a little bit. Um, I think we'll probably mention a little bit about step 10, 11, and 12, which I, you know, learned through this journey that that's a lot to do with discipline, awareness, and service. We were actually just talking about discipline over here at my table. And I said, discipline is not easy. And we were referring to, you know, what we eat, you know, discipline is not easy, But then my friend at the table had said, yeah, but it's good. And um, that goes right into my introduction of the 12 steps that were on, the 10th step right here that we're on tonight. And um, she's right. 
It might not feel good at first, but once we get the hang of this thing called discipline, what else happens? Seems like we get this thing under control, all the other areas of our life start to seem like they have better quality as well. And, um, you know, I'll speak from a, a personal aspect of my life. I'm a, what you would call an independent health coach. I help people get on track with their health, lose weight, get to a healthy BMI, be able to learn how to maintain that. And we work from the between the ears and out. And um, when I'm not doing that, when I'm not working my own health program, guess what happens? I stop answering calls. And I stop, you know, doing my network marketing, my social media declines, my business coaching aspect of things deteriorate, meaning financials start to come lower. A lot of things get wonky. And guess what happens the day I make a decision to surrender, get back on my health journey, I'm in a better mood. All of a sudden, I want to call everybody I missed last week, get back up on my marketing, and things enhance quite quickly. And it's very much so with this. You know, step 10 is, the principle is discipline. And it says, continue to take a personal inventory. And when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. You know, the um, 12 and 12 gives us a variety of ways to do an inventory. And I'll speak a little bit about some of those. But I personally have tapped into utilizing all options because I just happen to be one of the people they refer to as being sicker than most. You know, some are sicker than others. Have you ever heard that saying before? I identify as sicker than others. That's me, you know, and um, it's funny because, you know, some of us can relate to that, but it's legit. Like, I am definitely sicker than others. And what that means for me is that when I stop coming and attending the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, when I stop taking people through the 12 steps of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, when I start stop doing the basic necessities that were laid out at my path from the very beginning of this walk, I deteriorate quick. Boom. Like this. I don't have reserve that lasts me months and years. There are people, there are true alcoholics, believe it or not, that can and will do that. And it just so happens that I do not. I deteriorate rapidly. It starts off with irritability, easily annoyed by my fellows, restlessness, uncomfortable in my own skin, and then discontentment, the worst of all of them. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that feeling. I had it the other day. I'm going to tell you what it looks like in my house. I sit down. I turn on the TV. I hit pause. I get up. I walk into the bedroom. I stretch. I look in the mirror. I brush my teeth. I walk back out, grab a bottle of water. I sit down. I hit play. Five minutes later, I hit pause. I get up. I look outside. The sun's out. Walk into the backyard. Take a walk into the grass. Back, forth. Go back in. Take a seat. Hit play. Hit pause, go back outside, sit on my daughter's tree swing, swing back and forth. You know what this is called? Excessive boredom. Which for me is discontentment. And I can take that literally anywhere. We can go to the gym, to the movies, to the beach, to a party, and I'm still feeling that way. 
That's really yucky. Icky, icky, icky. Depression? Oh, yeah. I've experienced that. Maybe not this clinical um, diagnosis that some people have where they feel excessively sad and they close themselves into their bedroom for long periods of time. But my depression comes in other forms. For example, I'm not interested in the things that usually bring me joy. Anxiety? Check. Yep, I have the diagnosable kind. Pull out your DSM-5. I'll check off every box for you. But the kind that I'm referring to when I get unwound in Alcoholics Anonymous and I have absolutely no reserve is I am on edge. I'm very moody, my husband's ugly, and he smells, and he really doesn't even need to be in my life. The kids are so freaking annoying. Why did I have them to begin with? I'm on edge. I don't want people to talk. The music is too loud. I say things that I uh, regret later. This is anxiety for me. This, some are sicker than others. And that's what's happening to me when I get unwound. So what happened? I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I found that there was a solution. I put down the drink and the drug. I thought I was safe. The longer I stayed away from the drink and the drug, I realized that alcoholism, believe it or not, was progressive or fatal whether I was drinking or not. And what that meant is that I had an illness that lived and breathed whether I had a substance in my body or not. It was constantly trying to attack It was constantly waiting at every dark and bright corner there was in my life to attack, devour, and destroy. And it manifests itself in so many ways that have nothing to do with drinking and drugging. I had to learn not only to check these steps off on a checklist, but begin to apply them to my day-to-day life. I couldn't get anywhere without recognizing the fact that I had an illness that the only way I could even conceive getting help for it would require me to have complete and absolute abstinence. But then I had a mind that was going to do me to continue to go back to the thing that I was absolutely allergic and sensitive to. They told me that I had a lack of power, that my power greater than myself was my only solution. That if I couldn't pick up, stop picking up a drink or a drug, or if I have little control over the amount that I took, I was suffering from an illness which only God can solve. They told me that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was designed, in fact, to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that was going to solve your problem, a.k.a. God. Then they said, now that you know, you'll never not not know. You cannot unlearn what we just given you. So are you in or are you out? Let's do this. And if you're ready, let's go. And inventory was a requirement because I was so blocked off from the sunlight of the spirit. Now that I believe he's there, I want him to come and enter and expel the problem. I couldn't do that until I pulled out all the crap, removed it, allowed him to come into my life. I became aware, mindful of the things that were blocking me off as a result of the sunlight of the spirit. I started to grow up. I wanted to be more mature, more humble. I wanted to, I desired these things in my heart strongly, but I didn't know where to go. But the strong desire began to lay a path out for me. Asking and seeking and thinking God was a really sure way to get started. The next thing you knew, I started to peel off like an onion. Every time I would get over and through something, something else would pop up. I would discover that there was still more 
to be revealed. I would grow, I would mature, trauma. I would grow, I would mature, drama. I would grow, I would mature, heartache. I would grow, I would mature, loss of job. Stuff's gonna happen. I had to continue to move in the progressive motion. Then they said, you gotta clean up the wreckage of your past, mend relationships because those people are hurt, and as a result of it, you're not whole. You're either going to work this program or you're gonna drink again. Because if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. So I began the healing process of broken relationships. Now that I have done all of that, they introduced me to what we like to call emotional sobriety. How do you wanna live? You're here, you're sober. You haven't had a drink and a drug for a period of time. You've done steps one through nine. You go to meetings, you have a home group. Do you want to stay away from a drink and a drug for a long time or for a short period of time? Emotional sobriety comes in working the steps every day. 10, 11, and 12 were compacted together for you to do so. It's simplicity. Like I said, the 12 and 12 gives you multiple options on doing an inventory. They talk about doing a written nightly inventory on a regular basis. You know, nowadays they have an app for that. I'm not judging anybody who does the app. I used to. I used to say, if it's not pen to paper, it ain't happening. But then I used the app for two years until the one day I wrote this huge resentment list on my app about my boss and then sent it to her. <laughs> I stopped using the app immediately. That was the worst thing that ever happened. But I'm not judgmental about it anymore because I used it. Hey, listen, it's getting done, it's getting done. I think the only wrong way to do an inventory is not to do one at all. They talk about a daily self-check. You know, you, you, you're midday, you get into an argument with your boss, you, you run off like um, a little temper tantrum person that you are and you shut your door and you sit in there and pout about it for a few moments. But then reality sets in and you check yourself. Eh. Maybe I was wrong after all. Is it necessary to wait to write down tonight, process and sleep on it? Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you can go be a big girl or a big boy and do it right now. No judgment on which way you do it as long as it gets done. You know, they talk about having a, a retreat, going off, tapping into the spirit, figuring out there's more to be revealed in your life, there's more things that could help you grow and mature, and then set forth and do it. They have that um, quarterly, annual cleaning. I just made quarterly up, but annual. If you're like me, you probably need one every day. But guess what happens sometimes? Sometimes, even if you're doing one every day, it doesn't get resolved. You're doing the best that you can about it, but it's a pretty big deal. So every, every year, I'll do an annual one with my sponsor. My sponsor lives in Maine. Make it happen. It can. Clean it out, find out where you're wrong. There's a lot of really great tools on the internet you could print out, take a look at your assets versus your liabilities. Most important thing is, is that you're doing it. There's a list that I found, I don't know where, somewhere. Uh, I recreated one of my own to really take a look at your day. 
where did things go wrong today that caused you to do something you just wish you didn't do? Where are the good things in your life too? Because if we're always focused on the negative damn things about our life, the negative increases. We learned that in AA. One of the stories in the back of the big book says it clear as day. If I focus on his negative, his negative increases. If I focus on his positive, his positive increases. That goes for yourself too. So I had to start focusing on the positive things in my life as well. So I had somebody argue with me one day after an, an, an AWOL meeting. And it was from a men's group. And he came to me. He's like, they argued the whole hour in AWOL today. I said, about what? They said they argued whether or not a 10th step inventory was step 10 or whether it was step 11. I said, do you do a 10th step inventory? He said, no. I said, well, then who cares? What step it is, you ain't even doing it. You know what I think could be right, could be wrong, my perception of the book and how I process the information is that all the steps have preparation before action. They have all been some sort of, I'm going to prep you for something, give you some education tips. Now I'm going to give you direction and a flag to say, go. Let's do this. And in the 10th step, it talks about that we continue to be mindful of X, Y, and Z. You know, the things that are clouding our judgment, the things that are blocking us off from the sunlight of the spirit, a.k.a. your relationship with God, fears, resentments, wrongdoing, we become mindful of those and willing to set them straight as soon as possible. And then it says in the 11th step in the big book that we retire at night. We constructively review our day. It gives you a list of questions to ask yourself every night before going to bed. But then in the very next paragraph, it says, upon awakening. That means we're still ready to do an inventory. Take a look at your day. What do you have planned today? Lay it all out. I personally adopted a beautiful morning routine a very long time ago. I pass it on to anybody who's willing to take it, and it works very well for me. It's a letter to God. I learned very early on, I don't know if I was listening to a podcast or somebody in an AA meeting, but they said if you want a relationship with another human being, for example, a boyfriend... I bet you're going to call your boyfriend a hundred times when you guys especially are new in the relationship. You guys are going to have quality time during dinner, during movies, during time in the bedroom. There's going to be a lot of interaction. Well, if you want a relationship with God, you can't just be like, good morning, thank you. It's got to be a little bit more intimate than that. So I started writing a letter to God every morning, and it used to say, good morning, God. Today I am going to dot, 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 dot. I was following the script in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it worked very well for me. Now my letters to God, they range. 
A lot of times I don't tell God what I'm doing throughout the day specifically because I've adapted additional relationship assets with my God. I talk to him all the time. When I eat food, when I'm driving my car, when I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, when anything positive happens, when anything negative happens, there's a conversation with God. So a lot of the times it's good morning, God, thank you for giving me this life. Thank you for giving me this home, these children, this business, this weather. Just thank you. And when, of course, times are going tough, I talk about it with God in my letter. It gets out of my head onto a piece of paper, and I can think a lot clearer the rest of my day. And I personally have to do it first thing in the morning. The second I'm done with my morning routine, I'm never going to go back to that spot on my couch and do it. That's just me. I've proven it to myself a bazillion times. If I've ever woken up late and I was rushed and I said, I'll do it after I drop the kids off from school to school, never. I never do it. It has to be in the morning before anybody else wakes up and gets me distracted. So our book says that upon awakening, we take a look at the 24 hours ahead. It also talks about inviting God into our life, memorizing a few set prayers. Alcoholics Anonymous has set up a few couple very simple prayers that you can memorize. I memorized the third and the seventh step and the 11th step prayer very early on. I've somehow intermingled those prayers into my own words throughout the years, but they're still being said today. Because there's something about those prayers that keep my relationship with God very simple. Without you, I am nothing. With you in charge of my life, I am much better than when I am in charge. You know, I recently listened to a podcast. It wasn't a podcast, actually. I'm sorry. It was a book that I just read. It was like a little mini book that one of my faith-based mentors gave me. And it said that, I'll I'll pretend like it was me in the story, but I have a house. I have a bedroom. I have a kitchen. I have a living room. I have a back patio. I have a carport. My kids have a room. We have a dining room. There's different areas in my home that represent different places of where we do our business in home. And, um, you know, this individual in the story had invited God into their morning routine, which was to be had in the living room. And, you know, they got busy, and their morning routine kind of got watered down, and they were doing what I said I would do. I would do this later and never ended up doing it. And uh, one day they were leaving their house, and they walked through the living room and looked over to the left, and at the fireplace, there God was sitting. And they said, what are you doing there? And he says, well, what do you mean? You invited me here a long time ago. I've just been sitting here waiting for you. And that person was heartbroken. 
I can't believe that my God has been sitting here waiting for me patiently at the fireplace while I ran around and did my busy life and completely forgot about him. So days went on, and, and um, this person's life became a little bit unmanageable and uh, came to God in the living room and says, I don't know why I'm doing all of this stuff and why I feel the way that I do. And, and God said that, well, you know, you invited me here as your guest. So you're to host this relationship. And that person said, but I don't want you to be the guest. And he says, well, go back into your filing cabinet, grab the deed to your house, and bring it over here. And so they did. And he says, if you want to let go of control, sign over the deed. I'll be the host, and you can be my guest. And so we did. And I, after reading that book, and I, of course, was paraphrasing a lot of that, I continually have thought about God is the owner of not only the world, of my house, 6106 Northwest 20th Street. He owns that property. He owns that baby girl's bedroom. He owns baby girl. He owns that 15-year-old's bedroom, and he owns 15-year-old's. He owns my cats, my dogs, my lawn, my husband, my marriage. He owns the Buick, the Chevy. He is the host and the owner of all. The Father, the Creator, He is everything or He is nothing. The Heavenly Father, the ultimate authority. I need to be seated and servant. And man, when I tell you, life is so much easier. So much easier. So discipline is uncomfortable until you start to get the hang of things. The more you rely upon God, the happier you, happier you get. And here's a funny thing about that. Same thing with my health journey. Take note of this. Things are going to go very well for you when you start living and breathing this program. And I'm doing this because I'm referring to the actual steps. Living and breathing this program. It's probably going to go so well that you're going to stop doing what works. It happens to all of us. Now, it's not intentional. Life happens. Routine happens. You get a new job. That switches up your, your day, so on and so forth. You start getting irritable, restless, and discontent, right? But there's layers of irritability, restlessness, and discontentment. It's not exactly what I explained to you, right? It comes and it manifests itself differently in every aspect of your life. So the way my irritability, restlessness, and discontentment happened when I was at one year sober, five years sober, 10 years sober today is going to be drastically different. So I stopped doing what works. The symptoms of alcoholism began to uh, root its ugly head. But because it's been so different through my journey, I don't recognize it. I don't identify that this experience I'm going through has anything to do with this. So it increasingly gets worse. 
I eventually get to my knees again. And by the way, getting to my knees is very different than getting to my knees 15 years ago in that excruciating pain and agony. And I say, maybe I should get back to my old routine. And I get back to my old routine, and as crazy as it sounds, I immediately get better. I left God sitting at the fireplace in my living room, and I took back the deed, and I've taken back ownership of everything without even knowing it. Then I'm in this groove again, just feeling lovely, thinking, wow, after all these years, Bobby, after all the trial and error that you've done, you still forgot. And then I give myself grace. It's okay. Your sponsor keeps telling you, you're not going to be well anytime soon. <laughs> so there is going to be a lot of expected turmoil caused by my own decision making. The one thing that I have found very clear through all of this is that as long as I'm keeping my sobriety my number one priority, I can and will get through all of these challenges called life. Because picking up a drink and a drug will never be a solution to my problems. Never be a solution to my problems. So I feel like at this point in stage, I'm doing better than I've ever done in my entire life. And now it's time to give back what has been freely given to me. This is anything good in your life. You found something and it works really well for you and you love it and you know it's good, give it away. You got money, are you making money? Give it away. Just give it away. You found a health journey. You know it's working really good for you. Tell people about it. You know how to make some extra income that's legal and totally spirit worthy. Tell people about it. You want people to know what's good. Finding God has got to be the absolute, it's not got to be, it is the absolute best thing that has ever happened to my life. Hands down. So step 12, I don't even think about it as being related to alcoholism. Step 12 is imperative that I share the love and power of God. Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me that speaking to alcoholics on a, a, you know, a newcomer level, on a spiritual hilltop, super excited about God, could potentially actually um, deter them away from this program. So I'm sensitive when I work one-on-one -on -one with an individual, but I never apologize for my feelings and love about God, especially at the podium of Alcoholics Anonymous. Having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we carry the message to other alcoholics and help them achieve sobriety. Because now we know we live with an illness that not only is, is like fatal and progressive even when we're not drinking, but that there's only one solution to alcoholism. So we want to take somebody by the hand, 
walk them through this journey, guide them into a relationship with a power greater than themselves that is going to solve the problem. It's simple. The 12, no, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous lays out a large list of do's and don'ts for sponsorship. Read it. If you're sponsoring, you should take another look. There is actually a pamphlet called uh, Sponsorship Questions and Answers. If you've never read that pamphlet, see if Mike got it back there. If you don't, they have them in most meetings. They have them at Intergroup. They have them online. You can read it online. You will be blown away as a sponsor if you've never read that before. Because nobody gave me the memo. When I started sponsoring, I was confident I knew what people should be doing in their relationships. I was confident that I knew where people should be working and spending their extracurricular activity time. I was confident of these things because who, who, how could I not be confident? I had changed my life so drastically. I did a few simple things, so do what I did, you'll get what I got. And I just didn't know what I didn't know. Today, taking a full look at where I was my first year or longer in sobriety, if anybody did what I did, the chances of them staying sober would have been slim to none. I was a hot mess. But I did fall in love with Alcoholics Anonymous from probably the first 30 days I was here. I fell in love with the fellowship. I fell in love with the big book. I found God in my early sobriety. So I fell in love with God. But man, I was a hot mess. You guys just don't even know. I drove around in a 1999 four-door Honda Accord with 215 bumping in my truck, a pair of pull-out gold teeth from the Oakland Park flea market. And um, you know, I was not by any means had any value or, or self-esteem, if you know what I mean. I would just be doing anything with anybody at any time. It did not matter if you were a man, a woman, your size or age, attention was good enough for me. I also had a filthy mouth, which I have not progressed 100% in that area, but I'm a lot better than what I was when I got here. My house, from the day I got my own place, was the party house. We didn't do drugs, we didn't drink in the house, but I always had at least 12 to 20 people there in a 700-square-foot apartment. We packed up my Honda Accord, and we had a damn good time all the time. I was at every fellowship function you can think of, loud and having a good time. So I was just young. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I know now one of the biggest mistakes you'll ever make is putting your nose where it does not belong. Telling somebody about their relationship is an absolute 100% avoidance in my book. 
Because here's what I've learned about relationships, and I bring it up because it's going to happen. I don't care who you are, who you're sponsoring. That person that you're sponsoring is going to either be with the person or not be with the person, and their decision is 100% solely based on how they feel about it. And you are not going to convince them otherwise. So loving them no matter what and reminding them that they could do anything they want as long as they're putting their number one, uh, their number one priority as their sobriety and step back and let them do their damn thing. Because if not, you're just going to tear apart your relationship with the person and that person may actually be dead in a few days, a few months. It's not your fault, but I know from experience it would have been a lot better had you just loved them where they were. We're also not financial advisors or taxi cab drivers. I used to sponsor like seven, eight newcomers at a time. I had the ability to do that, and I don't really know how, but I did. Kept me on fire, kept me going. I don't do that anymore. Somebody in here is going to hate me for what I'm about to say. But when somebody calls me and asks me if I can sponsor them, number one, I don't take more than one newcomer at a time through the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And number two, I won't sponsor you unless you have a car or you're willing to get on a bus or an Uber to meet me at my house. People will just hate that. Because I remember being taught, you go and you selflessly get out there, sponsor eight people, doesn't matter if it's going to inconvenience you in your life, but that's not the case today. I did not get sober to neglect my children. I did not get sober to neglect my business. I did not get sober to neglect my marriage. And more importantly, I'm not taking people through the 12 steps unless I can give them my whole self. My whole self. That means if I've got one, more than one newcomer at a time, I'm spreading myself too thin. I want to give you my all. If I'm at my home environment where it's safe and I don't need to rush off to go pick up a kid here and there, we're not going to be in any rush at all. It's not only important for myself, but it's important for the person that I'm helping. And it doesn't say that anywhere in your literature, neither here nor there. It just happens to be my own personal experience. But I do know one thing for sure that I must always be active in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because when I'm not in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I start tapping into reserve again. I could be doing this thing in the morning real good, but we've got like multiple wheels going on at one time when you're living and breathing the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That means in the book, hitting meetings, doing my uh, relationship with God, giving back in service. You know, service comes in many forms. I think probably the number one best way to do service is to take somebody through the 12 steps because you're killing two birds with one stone. You're always going to be in the book, and you're always helping another person. You know, when I first got sober, I was very involved in the 101 club. And I used to get uh, AA Nazi haters... They're out there. I don't even know where they're at anymore, but they're, since COVID, they died down. But they were out there. They were like, if you weren't an intergroup rep or a GSR 
or something on that level, you weren't doing anything for Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, they were out there. So when I got sober, I found my service in other forms of the recovery community. And I became a member of the 101 Club, which is not Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm so hot, I want to take this off. Um, but I got involved there. I was, I was a member for five years. I developed uh, fun things because I'm a party person. I don't know if any of you guys know me. I'm party. They were talking about something outside last, two weeks ago. I thought I heard the word, word party. There was no party involved. But every time they were talking, I'm like, there's a party when? There's a party where? I'm 100% extroverted, so parties have always been my thing. So I wanted to have fun. And there was like a bunch of old people running the 101 at the time. So I got involved, and I started um, quarterly dances there. Did that for 10 years. I started outdoor live events, hip-hop, rock and roll, you name it. I still do today some of those events. Um, kids' parties for Easter, for Christmas, you know, doing things like that. When the 101 Club needed to be remodeled and painted and cleaned, that's where I went. When the gifts needed to be wrapped for the kids' party, I was wrapping all day and night. When the turkeys needed to be cooked, we were up all night smoking cigarettes, drinking caffeine, and, like, cooking turkeys. You know, and that's where I really found my, my in in recovery. And here's the crazy thing. Um, God has got so much more for you than just service in Alcoholics Anonymous. Remain open-minded. And I, at three years sober, was working at an air conditioning company in Fort Lauderdale as the office manager, and a woman called me from a program called the Susan B. Anthony Recovery Center for Women and Children, and she said, hey, Bobby, it's Joanne. We haven't seen you in a lot, a long time. I heard you're doing really good. We get, we get news about you a lot. I heard you're sober now a few years and doing well. Got your kid back and yada, yada. I said, yeah, 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 it's good. Well, listen, man, we're hiring for a case manager peer specialist, and we're, we're interested in getting down here and interviewing you. And I'm like, really, me? I'm like, I'm not working in the field of addiction. It's so cliche. I'm not interested. But, I mean, the job would probably be a little bit more meaningful and maybe pay me more. It is kind of far, but, I mean, why not? You know, God keeps opening doors for me. How would I just ignore this? So I went down there and interviewed, and they hired me on the spot, and I started working there, and my position, it's crazy. I had to arrive at the home of a woman in a man's house minutes after their kids were removed from their custody as a result of a substance use disorder. Me, I was the arrival person. And I was there strictly to love, support, encourage those parents to hang tight because there is hope. And how could somebody like me be qualified for a position like that? Well, because my addiction brought me to the depths of hell and losing my kids six times. I was the best qualified person to be at that person's doorstep. God's got amazing things for you. Anything and everything you'd ever gone through can be transformed into a beautiful asset second you let God into your life. Later on, I worked there for four years. I did very well, and I got offered a job at a program called South Florida Wellness Network at the adult program supervisor, and they wanted me to create a program for adult services here in South Florida to help people with mental illness and substance use in every single possible community in Brown County. And I said, let's do it. 
It's God doing it. I know it is because I wasn't smart enough. I didn't do school. I didn't do none of that stuff. Let's go. And I got my foot in the door in all county jails. I was doing groups for the men and Conti life skills, substance use programs, all the mental health and substitute programs at North Broward, and of course the, the programs and the substance use programs at um, SAP, I mean at Paul Ryan. And I developed a pen pal program there. I meet men in these rooms all the time that come up to me and say, I wrote you when I was in prison back in 2000. It's awesome. I got to start that pen pal program that continues on today. Hundreds of people are written in the county jails and the prisons in, in the state of Florida. And um, that expanded. I got to do service programs with Child Protective Services, the court system for mental health and substance use. I got to go into every single unit in the hospital that contributes to drug overdoses, FLACA encounters, mental health units. You name it, I got the opportunity to be a part of that starting and developing and growing these programs and get to work one-on-one -on -one with new people in recovery that want to change other people's lives and teaching them how to do these things. It's amazing what God will do for you. He's going to take everything you've ever been through and he's going to turn it around and make it an asset to help other people. That's what God does. I left that program. After six years, it was an amazing, beautiful experience, but God had more for me. He had more for me. Me and my husbands are leaders at our church for married couples. We're the only married couples there that have been married the least amount of time. We're the only addict and alcoholic in the room. It's pretty freaking crazy, right? My husband's been to prison and juvenile prison his whole life up until he came to recovery. I've been in and out of institutions and jails and homelessness and a prostitute, for God's sakes. And I have somehow, some way, made it into a leadership role in the faith-based community. Why? Because everything I get myself involved in, because of this program, God's like, you're ready for something new. You've changed your life again. I want you to help more people with it. You ready for that? Let's go. It's unlimited how far God will go for you. He is our Father, the ultimate of Authority, a creative intelligence. He is everything or he is nothing. And it is the absolute best thing that you will receive for surrendering to these steps. I cannot thank you guys enough for allowing me to be a part of this beautiful group. I love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, everybody, let's give our speaker a round of applause one more time. That was incredible, Bobby. I know my intro wasn't good, but I hope my outro is better. <laughs> Try to make up for it. All right, let's see. Um, now I'm going to call on Mark to do the secretary's report. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, guys. I'm Mark. I'm your Recovered Alcoholic Secretary. Hey, Mark. Before I give the report, uh, I'd like to welcome Bobby back up here. You, you get a, a mug and a bookmark for completing our series. There you go. It was great to have you. Now for business. 
<laughs> My name's Mark. I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary, keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group will be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are going to go around. While the baskets are going around, I've asked Ed. Where's Ed? Hey, Ed. I've asked Ed to come up here and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Here is Ed. Hi, I'm recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol remained with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem with the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks, brother. Nineteen forty saw big books from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. I forgot to mention too, um, if you didn't if you don't have cash and you didn't put cash in the basket, there's QR codes on all the tables if you guys want to make a contribution via smartphone. So anyway, nineteen forty style big book sponsorship. Forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, fifty percent of them got sober at once and remain that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should a sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay, good number, good number. Does anyone need a sponsor? Nobody needs a sponsor. Yes, a bunch of good AAers right here. So if you do need a sponsor, don't be shy. Please see one of the folks with their hands raised, please. We'll get you back to God. Uh, a couple quick announcements or events, as we like to call them. Uh, intergroup hours have actually changed. Um, they're not open Saturday anymore, but they're open every other day of the week. Well, not Sunday either. So Monday through Friday, 1 to 6. Sorry for all you Saturday intergroup shoppers. It was not my decision. BCIC, <laughs> Broward County Institutions Committee. Uh, this is the committee that brings meetings into outside resources for folks that are not able to get out to meetings. Inside resources, yeah. Bringing meetings inside, you get it. So anyway, um, volunteer opportunities. So Bobby just finished her nine-week series. Next we have Marion M. from Boca Raton, Florida. She's going to be doing the next few weeks in June. We're looking forward to having her. And then we meet here uh, every Monday at 7.15. We meet at 6.30, but we have workshop starts at 7.15. The big book comes alive up there. So we'd love to see you guys up there on the third floor. Also, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, big book dictionaries for sale. Unless you do a 12-week step series, then you get one for free. Um, what else? 
We meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15. We'd be asked that you'd be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. I know what else. Um, if anyone's interested in our podcast, also, there's QR codes on all the tables. You can scan the back of them. You can pretty much listen to meetings way back to when we started, which was 2013. So enjoy that, will you? All right. Thank you. See you next week. Okay, thank you for that, Mark. Um, I think you mentioned, but we have tonight's session um, online on our, our speaker podcast, which is alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those whom wish to thank tonight's speaker, please uh, line up down the center aisle or just surround her at her table here so she can't leave. Um, and then let's close with, <laughs> let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Guys, we'll see you all Monday or next Thursday. Hey, hey, hey. Ooh. Heart is heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. Yeah.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
growing vines They twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time Right outside my door like never before I had to change everything To realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man I travel far and wide Through the great divide Through his own heart, yeah Just about to smile. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Just won't set me free. I clap your hands, you believe me, too. 